Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Mike Mundenreiter and Jason from Frozen and Carbonite. Let's talk about bikes, but first, Slow Impact with Ryan Lay. Some of us are heading to Arizona in February for Slow Impact, hosted by Ryan Lay, and we got him on the show to kind of let us know what's up. So Ryan, what exactly is Slow Impact? Slow Impact is a skateboard festival of sorts. Think think a, a mild version of Copenhagen Open with a dash of pushing borders. If 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 anyone knows what pushing borders is, I feel like uh, obviously Copenhagen Open is is much more popular. Yeah, I think I think the nerds will probably know what pushing borders is. But um, do you want to give like a thirty five second description of pushing borders or? Yes. Yeah, so um, Pushing Borders was uh, an academic conference that happened in, I feel like 2018 and then 2019. And then the COVID year, it went away. And I think the organizers were so burnt out that they um, they haven't done it since. And, you know, essentially it was just like a way to get skate nerds and people in academia together to talk about skateboarding and the work that's going on around skating. I was fortunate enough to attend that because it was organized by the guys who run Skate Pal, of which I am an ambassador for. And uh, yeah, it was it was an awesome experience. And you know, in the last uh, year, I also went to Copenhagen Open, and so this event kind of uh, came out of attending both of those those different events and just kind of thinking like, all right, what do I feel like is potentially missing in the event space and skating and also, Phoenix has a unique climate in that our weather is really great in the the off season in the winter. And so, you know, there's not a lot of skate events that happen around that time. So if you don't live in California, Phoenix is a, a really great place to visit to, you know, escape the winter. So how much of a Copenhagen open influence are we talking here? Because I've looked at the panel lineup, but, you know, Copenhagen has like rings of fire that people jump through. How gnarly are we getting? Okay, so the, the the other thing that I want to make super clear is is building off of WAF, which is Wheels of Fortune that Kristen Ebling and the Skate Like a Girl crew runs um, in Seattle, which is an incredible event as well. I went there as an attendant. We're basically looking at trying to make an event that it caters to regular skaters. You know, just not talking to dance, but just just normal people. So the the thing that I've kind of noticed, especially about like. Dying Glory Challenge, which is a phenomenal event, and Copenhagen Open is that they're they're kind of catered towards pros. So, if you go there as a you know regular guy, you're you're basically going to be a spectator, and maybe like you'll find you know an hour or two to head out with a couple of friends that you meet up with and skate another spot. But for the most part, you're kind of there spectating. And so this event, like we really want to, um, aside from the panels, obviously, which you know you'll be in the audience. Um, all the events are for regular people. And, you know, the the work that we've been doing building skate parks out here kind of caters to that crowd, you know. We're trying to make stuff that's low impact and uh, making stuff that's approachable and, you know, stuff that people think is going to be really fun, right? Like, I think that a lot of people, especially if you live in California, you've seen that there's like this new birth of uh, the street skate park, but it's it's so influenced by Street League that you're like, oh man, we finally got out of the parks with bowls and now we just have Street League parks. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to to fill that, uh, that gap of like, what are the things that both beginner skaters and advanced skaters and older skaters who are just looking to have a good time, like what is the, the, the most approachable stuff that people are going to like? And then building on that, all of the events are, are kind of like built around that ethos. Ryan, Jason here. Thanks for coming back on the pod. Uh, listen, man, I would love to come out, but I know my kids would throw a giant euphoria style house party <laughs> if I went out, <laughs> if I went away for the weekend. Um, but it seemed, from my perspective at least, it seems like you organized and put this thing together like in record time. Like, how'd you do that? I think. Copenhagen was in August, so I had been kind of like tinkering with the idea and I talked with like a few friends and, you know, I think once you go to like a handful of events and, and if you have the connections, right, like I, I, I knew that I could like get some people out for it. And so I think I toyed with the idea for like a couple months up until October and then was like, all right, if we're going to do it in February, like I have to launch it by at least like end of November, early December, just to give people time and time to like organize the final parts of it. And so 
the thing that I'll say is that I think we laid a lot of the groundwork by getting Perry Park built and getting Mitchell Park built, you know, in, in the last couple of years. And so that kind of like laid a really good foundation for the spaces. And then we, we recently moved into a really cool office space right next to Mitchell, which is one of the parks that uh, the event will be at. You know, with that office space, we're right next to Cowtown. We're in this really cool central location. So having all of those spaces, especially most of them are walking distance. I was like, oh, cool. We can use our office. We can use Cowtown. We have a couple parks right here, really good street spots nearby. And then, you know, we'll sprinkle in a few bars. And I know from going to Pushing Borders that I'm like, the best part of those events is not the panels. It's the it's it's being around people that you maybe know from Twitter or you know from Instagram, but you've never met before and being a skate nerd. And it's like you get people to a bar, whether or not you drink. I mean, you're going to have a really good time. You're going to go out and skate the next day. And it's like, do you get that kind of um, osmosis going? I think that uh, that's where all the magic happens. Right on is. Is Perry that one park that's like really low impact? It's like a lot of space and a bunch of um, parking blocks and low ledges and stuff like that. Yeah, everything is like 12 inches or under except for the ramp, I think. Nice. Yeah. And when you're saying we, are you talking um, skate after school or just to clarify that? So yeah, I worked on that project with skate after school um, with Perry Park. Um, And then the event is, the event's kind of interesting because like, you know, because it's for adults and it has parts of it that happen at, at bars and, you know, nighttime venues, we're not really going to promote it through Skate After School. But if you drink at the bars, all of those drink sales will go to Skate After School. And obviously the panel discussions are going to happen in our office, but I've basically kind of just been organizing the event for the most part on my own uh, with the help of Tim and Zamara who, who work for Skate After School as well. So on the flyer, you got ASU. I'm assuming that's Arizona State University. What's uh, their involvement? So I met this guy at Perry whose name is Mo, Maurice. Uh, I think it's Maurice Crandall. Uh, but let me double check on that. And uh, he's like, I, I, I like to, I don't think he actually knows this, but I like to call him Bizarro Kyle because he's like really similar to Kyle in age and also is a professor. But he's like Kyle if Kyle grew up on Zero and Toy Machine videos. <laughs> And, it's Kyle uh, Beachy, yeah, right? Yeah, Ky- yeah, Kyle Beachy. And so um, I talked with him about, I was like on a uh, some academic conference recently and uh, he just came up to me and started talking to me about it. And I was like, oh yeah, like that's rad. You, you just moved back here. I think he was teaching at Dartmouth and um, he teaches Native American history at ASU and I think got lured over here by ASU and got like a pretty decent job. And so- you know, he has good connections over there. And so from there, I kind of was like toying with the idea of trying to get ASU involved because I knew that, you know, ASU is like one of the biggest universities in the country. So they are, they own so much real estate in Tempe too. It's not even funny. So I, I, I knew that they had a lot of money for an event like this, if you could like find the right sources to tap into. And um, yes, sure enough, like he was like, oh, I I actually have a a budget that I can use for this kind of conferences and it'd be really rad to, you know, help fund this thing. And so from there, you know, we kind of started building out the panels and and I didn't want to do too many panels because I, I think one of my takeaways from Pushing Borders is that like if you get people, especially skaters, like out to an event, and, and the weather's really nice. They don't just want to sit in a room and listen to panel discussions for, you know, six to eight hours a day. It's so uh, we, we, we kept it really light this year, but um, I'm hoping if everything goes well, then, you know, ASU will be happy with the turnout. Um, I think the, the benefit for them is it kind of gives them something cool to attach their name to, which is, you know, not a kind of, you know, boring academic conference that is probably not super well attended, but this will be a fun and memorable event. And, you know, hopefully we can get more money from them next year. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're saying next year that that gives me hope that I can get my PowerPoint on 411 VM and numerology into the mix, <laughs> uh, for 2024. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I, w- I will say, uh, this year, like we honestly just like threw the panels together really quickly and I had ideas for like a few other panels, but because we had already kind of sorted out the days and there's there's really only three mornings to do panels. I was just like, we're just going to do one each day and see how it goes. And if, if it works out, maybe this event is like five or six days next year and, and has more panels. But 
we're kind of testing the waters on all of the all of the different uh, types of events this year. Yeah, one um, one of the panels that kind of jumped out to me is the one entitled "You're Skating on Native Land." Talk about that a little bit. Like, how did that come about, and like, what are your goals with it? Kind of. Yeah, um, I have you know friends in the Native community here, and I, I feel like uh, the Navajo and Ohodom, uh scene is is an Apache scene is thriving out here, and so. You know that was important to me to to try to integrate that into into this place because one of the goals of this event, right, is to like show people who are tourists like a curated experience of the Phoenix skate scene, right? Like, so you've never been here before, maybe you've seen footage of it. You're looking to get away from the winter, and you know you, you want to have a good time. So we're going to try and curate like a whole skate vacation for you. And part of that is the native skate scene is really strong here. And it's uh, a lot of it exists on kind of like the peripheries of the valley. But I was like, we should really try, especially with Mo already teaching Native American history here. Um, I really wanted to try to like integrate that and have that foreground that as like the first panel so that we could give those people an opportunity to speak and talk about the things that are interesting to them and, you know, their experience skateboarding. Because there's a lot of really rad stuff uh that's happening like all over the reservations all over arizona right now in the in the skate world mostly you know led by like doug miles and doug miles jr outside of the panels on on the flyer you say there's going to be a 21 foot ride on grind at the at the wedge can you talk a little bit about that so you know for two of the two of the days i mean i'll give you kind of a rundown of the schedule we basically like skate wise we're going to be skating a new park that we're building at mitchell that's kind of a similar uh theme as the as perry but we're gonna we're gonna be building four more obstacles there and then the next day we're skating perry and then on the third day we're doing a street skating event and then on the fourth day uh i was really you know there's not a lot of places that you can do big events without a permit in the valley which is i think one of the limitations of running an event anywhere in the states versus a place like copenhagen is that i mean one transportation sucks Two, you can't drink in public which is kind of frustrating for a lot of people and then three it's just really hard to do stuff because we don't have really great public space and so we were just kind of like thinking all right what are the great public spaces that we could potentially use and bring like a few hundred people to if if it ends up being i think if it's 200 people it'd be a huge success and um the wedge like the old wedge which is the it's the pyramid that has it's like a 20 foot pyramid um essentially Mm-hmm. Steve Forstner was the first person to ollie it and you know a few people have skated it recently but um that's a really good space because it's you know massive park it's right next to the skate park and it's also kind of a historic Arizona skate spot and so with that I was just thinking like all right you know the I think the like Thrasher had fixed up the wedge because they were planning on doing like a one of those buster bail contests right around when COVID started which I hope they do do that because it would be awesome. So they already kind of like laid a lot of the the groundwork by fixing the cracks and, you know, smoothing out the the cement and stuff like that. But I was thinking like, what are the, what would be like the funnest thing for a regular skater to do over this, you know? And we have those blunt steel flat bars at our program for skate after school. They donated a couple of them to us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Dude, just putting a flat bar across this at the ride on grind would be so fun to just like catch a 21 foot, you know, ride on grind across the the whole wedge. And then you like land and go into a bank. Um, and so we started with that. And then I realized that I was like, oh, we actually should do one that's regular size that you can skate like a flat bar because I think that'll be a good time. And then we have a, one of these like wooden New Balance picnic tables um, that was built for another event. So we'll have like a bump to table. We'll have bank to curbs and bank to ledges. And then we're going to have two, one four inch uh, roll on grind. And then one that's like a standard 16 inch roll on grind, but you can also skate like a flat bar that goes across the whole ledge. Sick. Now, now I'm feeling like bummed that I'm not going to go. There's still time. I'm like, I'm like, finally Templeton's like pushing over the edge. It, it really sucks because, you know, my, my like timestamps, if no one was paying attention, but for me, I was like, I want to put out the first flyer two months in advance, which I got, I got that done. And then, because I just know with people with kids and stuff, it's like, it's so challenging if you've got like a serious job. So you really got to plan in advance. And then I was like, I want to get the real schedule out a month in advance. And we just missed that by like a couple days, but. I'm still hoping I'm like, I hope that people are now seeing the schedule and can still 
managed to like, you know, get a flight, find an Airbnb and, you know, sort it out. But I, I, uh, I empathize, you know, it's, it's tough out there. It is. Hopefully now, next year. Now the wedge, is that where that like, uh, King Tubba is that Muska no slide and shit like that? Yes, it is. There's a bunch of famous skate spots there. There's like a really good six stair rail that's kind of tall. And then there's the wedge and the rock gap that Greco skated. And then, uh, yeah, there's the double set hubba. God. And I that, look that full, I, like, I kind of think people skated in some H Street video, like Colby Carter or something, but I got to look back. They did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, you probably can type in the wedge on Google. I'm doing that right now. Oh, no, the wedge is a famous skate spot or a surf spot in Newport Beach. But yeah, there's a clip of Steve Forster ollieing it. Uh, I know that's on YouTube. And that was the first first person to ollie it. Yeah, I remember that motorcycle because he got towed in, right? He did. Yeah, there's actually like really good runway, but it kinks. And I think that most people can't uh, get speed from the kink. And so what ends up happening is that people... People just tow in on the second downhill, like after the kink, and then and then that's or they bungee in, and that's kind of how it's been been skated. The bungee, you gonna bring the bungee out for the twenty twenty one foot ride on grind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. I don't know. I'm not trying to kill anybody. Uh, no, I mean like we don't. You know, like I really want to emphasize that like this is not an event where you're going to, I want everyone to skate. Like that's the goal, right? Like we have pros that are coming out for it and I'm, I'm trying to get more people to come out. Uh, but I don't want this to turn into like, Oh, this is just an early jam where, you know, you can't skate it. Like we're, we're thinking, and some of the stuff that we're like planning on building is we want to make the funnest shit possible. You know, like what a, ba- a tiny bank to curb on the wedge that people can skate off to the side. So they don't feel like they're in the spotlight. And I think the, there, there's a really iconic photo, I think, from the H3 era where they put a jump ramp on the side of the wedge. And so we have a jump ramp that we built. So you can like ride up the side of the bank and then hit a jump ramp and come into it. So yeah, everything everything is with an emphasis on like approachable, small, fun. And like hopefully people will have a great time skating it. How many uh, people are you expecting at this point? Like, and would what would your gauge be to like consider it a success or what are you aiming for? Like, yeah, what's, what's the goal attendance wise and how's it shaping up? I would say, uh, over 200 would be a nightmare for me because I'm, uh, I'm, uh, just the venues are not going to be able to, to handle that. So I'm like being mindful of like not promoting it too much, but I definitely want people to come. And, uh, yeah, I mean, over 50, I think, would be a success. I feel confident that over 50 people will come. Plus, we have a pretty strong skate scene here. So I think for at least the nighttime events and the panels and stuff, like I think we'll have a pretty good turnout. But one of the events is potentially in my backyard. And so I'm like, if there's more than 200 people, I'm going be... <laughs> to be in the doghouse, I think. So let's, let's hope that that doesn't happen. Damn it. You're going to have people skate off, skate off your shed? <laughs> yeah. No, um, Kyle is, is, uh, Kyle Beachy is hosting a reading, which is something he did in Malmo when we had pushing borders or when we were at pushing borders. And so, um, we're going to, we're going to do a reading in my backyard. And then there's also a skate video tribute band that's led by Sean Bonnet of AJJ, which is a really sick local band here. And so they're going to play songs from iconic songs from skate videos with some like video art of the skate videos playing in the background. So this is skate nerd nirvana that you're describing to me right now. Yeah, I mean a lot of it a lot of it really is, you know, like I I think that's definitely like the crowd that we're we're drawing in. But I will say like I want to reference a a tweet that I saw which was like someone someone wrote that I don't know but I just saw on Twitter was like, "Oh, I'd love to go to this, but I don't have any friends and like, I, it, I just seems weird for me to go. And I'm just like, or like I'm old and I don't have any skate friends. And I was like, no, that's exactly who it's for. Like if there is like the perfect person I want to come, it's someone who's like tapped into the online skate world, but maybe is a little isolated because they live in a town without a strong skate scene or they work a full-time job or, you know, have kids, whatever. Um, it's like people live all over the country, but those are the people that I want to come because I'm like, you You can come and you'll have a t- good time and maybe you'll meet friends from online and, uh, you know, you'll, you know, build community through the, the whole process. So if you're, if you're listening and you're feeling like, oh, like this isn't for me, like it definitely is for you. Like that, those are the people that we want to come. 
So to wrap this up, if somebody wants to come, what do they have to do to go to Slow Impact? Um, so if you live far away, you're going to buy a flight. Uh, all the events are free. Like there's no, someone asked me about that and I was like, no, of course they're not. They don't cost money. Um, you don't have to buy a ticket or anything. Uh, everything's free. You just got to figure out how to get here and find a place to stay. We're encouraging people to stay in close proximity to Mitchell Park. Uh, if you fly, renting a car is not mandatory. Most probably, I would say 80% of the events are going to be within walking distance of Mitchell. Uh, we have two offsite events, which are Perry Park and The Wedge. And for those days, I think we're just going to meet up at Mitchell and try to carpool from there. So people who've rented a car or people who have a car and live locally, they'll be able to, you know, just if you see someone, find them and put them in your car and, and bring them over. So, or you can just get a lift. Uh, the main thing though is um, just Google or if you're on Airbnb or whatever, look up Mitchell Park in Tempe. And I would just shoot for like a quarter, half mile from there. And if you if you stay within a half mile of there, you'll be able to like skate home every night and skate to the you know to the most of the events and the panel conferences. Oh, and then the the last thing that I want to add is that I was I was talking with Trent from Cowtown, and they're going to do a continental breakfast every morning for uh, people at the event. So mm, and I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be called the Continental uh, Breakfast, but it'll be coffee from a really good coffee shop, Cartel Coffee, and then, you know, like donuts and fruit. So if, you, if you're really broke, I kind of feel like just come out here and you'll make it work. Like you'll be able to find someone to stay with. It'll probably just work out for you. Uh, and, and we have a lot of products. I'm like, you might even make your money back in the product that you get from that, hopefully. Are you going to break the mold on everything and have like, the most wicked product tosses and everything else is <laughs> chill, but you got to go in and throw some bows to get your, your t-shirt. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we're trying to get product just from like really cool companies. And I don't know. I, I, yeah, I have never like run a product toss before. And there's a part of me that's like a little, uh, anxious about the, the like MC portion of this whole thing, which is like, you know, directing it and all that stuff. So I guess we'll kind of see, but for the street skating event, we are going to have, like 10 prizes for people who win things through the, yeah, through that street skating event. So like, you know, funniest clip, best effort kind of thing, like best edit, best use of spot kind of shit. My brain was trying to telegraph what you were going to say. And for a second, I was like, I thought you were going to say, we have Dave Duncan coming out because you were talking about <laughs> MCing. So there's always next uh, year. Yeah. Or there's this year, uh, Dave Duncan, if you're listening, um, just shoot me a DM. Yeah, I'm sure he listens. <laughs> like Ryan, I know, I think you posted something about, you know, given, given pro skateboarding a couple more years, your position is, does this play into like pro skateboarding and just doing more with skating? Or would you be doing this if you're, you know, more skate after school focused? Like, how does this fit into what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think it does. I think a lot of it stems from feeling like, I, I, you know, we kind of got into this a little bit on, on skate Twitter, but I really feel like scenes are dying all across the country. Um, mm -hmm. at least they are here. Uh, and I don't really know what's responsible for that, but it just seems like, you know, like the glory years of our scene was like maybe a decade ago. And there's obviously like still a lot of really great skating that happens here, but you know, I'm rooted here cause my family's here and you know, I feel like if I'm going to stay here, I want to help kind of grow the scene and contribute in whatever way is possible. I mean, obviously, like, you know, the scene's going to be fine without me, but I feel like if I have these connections, I want to try and, you know, bridge all those gaps for people. And I, I've, I've also built a lot of relationships with people in the academic world. And I'm like, okay, there's money there. There's people doing really interesting work and there's clearly an audience for it. And so, like, how do you kind of like, synthesize all these things and bring them together and so yeah i don't know it just kind of like stems from that and also events are just fun like it's just a good time to get together and skate and have some drinks and wherever that happens and i think the the last thing i'll say is that a lot of people love pushing borders and i think like i said before the organizers got so burnt out but but afterward and then obviously covid happened and I think that threw a wrench in a lot of plans that involve traveling. And now it's been years since there's just a gap there. And I'm like, well, if no one else is going to fill it, I mean, we can do that. So, um, and ASU, hopefully it seems like they're on board for right now. And, you know, hopefully th this is really like 
a very small DIY project compared to what they threw together with pushing borders. But I feel like if it goes well, then maybe next year it, it does look a little more like that. Like it is a little more fleshed out. And I don't know. I just feel like, you know, again, there's no events in the winter time. So why not bring everyone out to Phoenix and Tempe in the winter once a year? And if you want to come and you're looking to escape winter, there's a, there's a thing to do, you know, just like, it seems like people make the pilgrimage to Copenhagen and they make the pilgrimage to whatever dime glory challenge. It's like, you know, there's just a good event. Like once a month is great just to draw some people in and hopefully build community. Appreciate you doing it, man. Yeah. At least they could do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael, Mike and Patrick will be there and maybe Jason and I can make it for next year. Yeah. Now I'm pretty juiced for next year. I got it. Yeah. No pressure next to you. No, yeah. I mean, I, again, like I uh, I left my job at Skate After School in December um, just to kind of focus exclusively on skating. And definitely this is part of it. I'm like, if this goes well, and the two things, like if this goes well and it seems like there's an audience for it and I'm also not insanely burnt out after it because I know with c- certain events like WAF is kind of like that and Pushing Borders definitely was. If you're too burnt out, like it's not worth doing it. But if this goes well and it doesn't seem like it's like too much of a headache for me, um, then I'm just going to try and keep doing it every year and bring more people in. Because uh, the other thing that's been really great about the planning is like I have a lot of friends who know what they're doing and I can kind of, you know, hand off a panel discussion to someone and have them organize the whole thing. And then that's just off of my lap, you know. So the the panels are like totally out of my hands. They've They've picked all the people. They're organizing it. I'm just giving them the space to run it. And so I'm just really trying to be mindful of like delegating as much as I can and not because I want to have fun too, you know, like I'm I'm not I'm not trying to like kill myself uh just to host an event. So, you know, just getting the people together I feel like is the is the main thing. If that happens, then it'll be a success. Nice. Well, on to our next topic. The most recent New Yorker has a feature on City Bike Boys, which got us thinking about the skate bike connection. Mike, I know you're a bit of a cyclist. Uh, do you see a connection there? You know, it's funny. I saw you, you know, you had that question tumbled there. I'm like, what are the connections? Because you look at City Bike Boys on Instagram and, you know, that's pretty obvious. You think the guy's a skater. Even though after reading that New Yorker item, I don't know if Jerome actually is. He might just be a BMX guy with... Uh, some shared mentality like i don't know i i like biking to get around i like biking to move fast and like look around at where i'm at and in a lot of ways i feel like it's different from skating in that for the most part i consider a skateboard like kind of a shitty way to get around if you really need to get somewhere you got to be a lot more mindful about riding and what you're riding on and everything so it's for me it's kind of a departure but then again it's physicality the move and its wheels and so there's there's a lot of other connections i know ryan you've been you just biked 100 miles out there in the desert like are are there (laughs) connections for you or what do you think uh yeah i don't really know what the connection is for me um because i mean for me like cycling is really uh compatible with running and i've been really into running but i don't really know how that compares with skating. I mean, right now I'm hurt. So I got back into cycling and then Tim who runs skate after Tim Ward who runs skate after school with me. Um, he is obsessed with bike commuting and cycling right now and has been like organizing skater bike rides, which is really cool. Skaters who bike ride, which is basically like commuting two spots on bikes with a, a mass of people. And uh, just honestly through his influence, I've like kind of gotten back into cycling and then, yeah, I bruised the shit out of my heel New Year's Eve. So I've been, I started the year off hurt, which means that I can't run and I can't skate. And so, uh, cycling is the one thing that I can do. So I got my bike fixed up and I've, I've been getting more into it, but for me, it's like a love of endurance sports. Like that's, that's kind of where I, I come from. And then also it's just like good to get out of your car and <laughs> use a bike to do simple tasks that that you can manage on a bike like it's i don't know i really do kind of believe now that i'm like if you don't start doing that then you can't really complain about the fact that your cities are hellscapes for automobiles you know it's like if you just kind of start biking more and more you can you can slowly take over the city and there'll be more people walking more people biking and you know hopefully more infrastructure that comes with that man i'll tell you i uh 
I have a fixed gear, but it got a flat tire and I like never changed it. And it's been in my garage for like a year and a half or something. But, um, dude, yeah, changing I mean, the I, tires on like a road bike is a fucking pain in the ass. So, I, yeah, I, I had, really blame I had you. To, yeah, I've never done it before. Like, I had to get like these special tools or something. I don't know. Maybe it's free time. I'll, I'll like, uh, fire it up. But, um, yeah, biking and skating always been kind of connected, especially since, uh, the BMX days in the early 80s, you know. Um, Matter of fact, I was just like re-listening to Sal Barbier's Nine Club episode, and he purchased this old, I guess, like legacy or like heritage BMX brand, CW Bikes or something. So it's supposed to be like good shit. I don't know. So he's into that. Um, But man, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Spike Jones started off as like a BMX photographer, I think. Yeah, he was, uh, there's like this documentary Joe Kid on a Stingray, like kind of about the, the evolution of BMX, and he's he's featured in that for, he was like working at a bike shop in Maryland or something. Yeah, yeah. he was like in the scene for quite some time. Yeah, I don't know who we had on here, but we were talking about like the connections between world and BMX scene out there. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's always been shit like that. And like uh, in the 90s, there was like, with the San Francisco fixed gear thing, like Javante Turner was like big in that. He's in some fixed gear videos, I think. Like Julian was way, way into it. So th- there's always been shit like that going on. But like on a local level here, like the BMXers, like they're all kind of down with the same, you know, people who have spots like uh, the Lost Bowl. You know what I mean? They're kind of down with uh, the guy who has that in his backyard, and, like this other bowl. So. Plus, on a local level here, dude, shit's pretty, like, interconnected, even, like, to this day in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, there's a huge bike scene here in Portland, like, of, I don't know, all, like, every kind of bike imaginable, you know, there's a scene for it, like, fixie dudes and gravel dudes and all that, and a lot of those folks skate. So, I, I think there is some kind of connection there. Like, I was talking to a friend about mountain biking, and he he likened it to snowboarding which he likens to skateboarding and he says it's all about addressing terrain you know so you're like cruising through the city and you see some steps like what are you gonna do on those steps or like you know you're bombing down a trail and there's a fucking route are you gonna like pop over it or like go around it or whatever kick flip it do a bike kick flip exactly yeah (laughs) yeah that reminds me of minneapolis legend he rode from molotov back in the day danny jansen big mountain bike guy very good mountain biker. In fact, he like started skating again after going mountain bike, all in on the mountain bike, and then he slipped back into the into the hold of the mountain bike. Yeah, there's that like <laughs> I, people people maybe even Ryan you posted it just talking about like the skater to cyclist pipeline, and I suppose it's like the different disciplines because yeah, for the most part, like I just, I just like riding fast and aimlessly and just like zoning out with a podcast and seeing how far I can go. But yeah, I've gotten out on trails a couple times, and that is awesome. I mean, having trees on either side of you like makes you feel like you're going 10 miles per hour faster, if not more. And there is that connection. I mean, Templeton, weren't you? Are you still bombing hills at all on your mountain bike? Uh, not really. I was I was bombing the hills on my road bike, where like Strava was telling me I was getting like 50 miles an hour. Which, after talking to some people, it's probably not how fast I was going, since it's like based on GPS <laughs> and shit like that. I was going pretty fast, though, at least, which was fun. But road biking always just seemed really boring to me. And, like, I, I would just ride for, like, half an hour and be like, God, this is boring. But I love mountain biking. Like, just, and there's, like, a few trails around that are, like, like easy driving distance or maybe even riding distance. And then, like, some other not-so-good trails that I can just hit from my house. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, if I had a lot more time, I would be very into mountain biking, I think. Like, I would get you know, the $5,000 full suspension deal and like run that all the time. Cause that shit looks super fun. Speaking of mountain bikes, doesn't Santa Cruz still makes mountain bikes to this day, right? Like, yeah, they're like, like one of like the top mountain bike brands, I would say like, they're like one of the big, big boys, like, you know, up there with probably like specialized and shit. Yeah. I, I remember when that started and like Rob Roskop like switched to being a mountain biker. It was like a big joke. Like, oh, what happened to Rob Roskop? We were a pro mountain biker, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Pretty well. Uh, is, 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 is Santa Cruz mountain or bicycles the same thing as Santa Cruz skateboards? Yeah. Yeah. It's like really? Rob Roskop's deal. Like, and they're, they're that, they're that $5,000. I, I know. I'm, well, okay. Now I got to walk it back. 98% <laughs> sure they got that like $5,000 price point that, 
Templeton was talking about. Yeah, I'm sure they've got like, you know, close to $10,000 mountain bikes, you know, like they've got the full the full deal, you know, they, I think they probably make like e-bikes and shit. They're huge. I think I might, I'm trying to remember if Swobo Bikes, no longer around, was a subsidiary of Santa Cruz because I've got this like oversized BMX coaster bike that is a riot and it might be Santa Cruz subsidiary. We'll see at some point later on. Yeah, listeners, write in. Let us know if, if Mike's bike is uh, related to Santa Cruz. Remind me to do the online research necessary to answer that question. <laughs> I, I, I will say that, like, I, I'm kind of a... I, historically, I've been a little bit of a shit talker on the, the, the skater to cyclist pipeline just because I feel like I've seen a lot of friends who quit skating and when they get into cycling, which I think is lame because skating rules. Skating is definitely way cooler than cycling. Yeah, it's like I've seen so many friends go from like skater to triathlete, and I think that's stuff's cool. Like I'm into endurance sports, but I'm like skating. You're very cool. close, Ryan. Like, don't. Yeah, but don't quit skating. Like that's the important part. Like do those things and and you know add them to whatever, add them to your daily life. Use it as a, a commuter. But I I really like it. Gets super frustrating to me when, especially mountain biking is a really funny one because I have so many friends who are like. I, I can't skate anymore. Like it, it's too dangerous. I'm like worried about getting hurt. And then they break their collarbone on biking. And I'm like, yeah, dude, no shit. Yeah. And it's like that. I feel like it'd be just that one slam. And all of a sudden you're between two trees, like your head just sticking out. Clavicles broken. The only slam of the day. Like <laughs> risk yeah. assessment. Yeah. I think with bikes, it's like, like you don't really get like the scraped up knees and shit like that that we're all used to. It's like either you're totally fine or, to get an airlifted out like you know there's not a lot of middle ground with bike slams i guess i guess it is like a lot easier on uh on your knees to like you know you don't have the risk of tearing your acl or whatever hey uh, you can tear your acl just like walking down the street it's like <laughs> one, of the, one of those things like but uh yeah back to triathlons dude right if you want to do a triathlon dude i'll do it with you i always want to do one <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe do we like, should do that I got. I gotta say, like, just to speak to the quality of the characters on this podcast, that Jason sent me. I I was talking to him about Romanian deadlifts, and he sent me a Google Doc about like how to Romanian deadlift, uh, which is just so awesome. So yeah, shout out to to Jason for doing that. It's oh yeah, dude, I got it. Yeah, I got all the I got all the workout plans, dude. But um, funny funny story or whatever. Like when Wrecking Ball was on Twitter for a minute, I, I challenged him to a triathlon. Like in those words, like I challenge you to a triathlon. <laughs> I don't think he, I don't think he responded, but I was I was serious. I'll, I'll do a triathlon. I can swim good. Biking's pretty easy. I can run pretty good. So, yeah, yeah I'm like. Yeah, I'm kind of bad at the swimming part. Uh, I think I could figure that out, but I definitely like. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about like trying to do an Ironman the other day, just 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 to see if I could do it. And I was like, I know I could run a marathon, and I know I could do the bike part, but from what I've been told, like the the swimming part, which at least in Phoenix starts first, like it's just so brutal, and you're like getting kicked in the face. And yeah, my friend Peter Vlad, who did it, was told me he was like crying while he was swimming because <laughs> it was just such hell. Yeah. But yeah, swimming is really hard to master. Like the breathing techniques are inverted from from running like you have to breathe in with your breathe in with your mouth and out through your nose and so that's really challenging and then it's just like such chaos like i just i don't know if i can handle that iron man is like what is it a marathon and then you bike 500 miles or something or some shit i don't know yeah it's like 120 miles maybe and then you you swim like maybe two and a half miles which doesn't yeah. sound like a lot but is a fucking that's a that's far that's a nightmare. Yeah. Like, yeah, that sounds pretty pretty horrible when I can just go do some kickflips instead. <laughs> I, I think I, I think Danny Way did an Iron Man with he Of uh, course he did. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he did. But he probably had Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a psycho, but I think he did it like coming off of a like a serious injury and he just spent like a year training, but you know, I think we could do it, Jason. Yeah, I mean they have there's all there's like levels. They start with like a little sprint triathlon. There's like all there's all types of levels in between. It's like no big deal. Yeah, yeah, you could do like a halfer or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slow impact three Saturday morning <laughs> triathlon. Yeah, heavy, heavy uh, synergy heavy. there, guy. 
Better to I yeah. Messes up the theme. Well, do you guys ever uh, use your bikes to get yourself from spot to spot or to the spot for skateboarding? Yeah, nah, I, I live out here in the suburbs, man. Drive from spot to spot. <laughs> yeah, Phoenix is not very uh, not very bike friendly, but more and more I have been doing it. I, I rode my bike to Perry the other day, but that was a that was like a twenty mile round trip bike ride, so it's it's pretty serious. But I've been trying to just get into the habit of doing it a little more because yeah, it's just good to get off the car if you have the time, you know. Yeah, I was thinking about just how I should be probably biking into downtown Minneapolis. It'd be like a twelve twelve mile round trip. But my my pet peeve is like I can't skate with anything in my pockets, and I'm already you know if I drive downtown, got to keep like a card, maybe maybe a twenty in your car keys, and I can I can handle that. Oh, and then you got the phone. But then you bike, and maybe you got a backpack for the bike lock, and I don't know. So sometimes biking is more of a hassle in my brain than it probably need be in real life. But I'm also reminded of um, maybe it's a secondary topic, but like the you, there's that age where you ditch a bike because you can drive, and then you don't bike for a while. But I got back into biking, bought a 10 speed, used 10 speed, biked maybe like three miles to the skate park after not biking for likely a decade or more you know as like a 25 year old wrecked my legs couldn't skate after three miles so there there is a little bit of a learning curve yeah you got to build up to it i used to um when i first moved to portland i would ride i think like four miles to the skate park and then i would skate for like 45 minutes and then i'd be like okay i gotta like save a little bit of my legs to get home and i always kind of figured that if i did that enough I would be able to skate more, but I never could because I guess I just wasn't skating enough or training enough. I I may uh, I'll put this on the record, but I am a firm believer that the best way to get good at skating is to skate more, and that all other sports and training are just going to be, if not a detriment, they'll just be neutral on your skating. Like I, I think the the Ishad way is the way to go, which is just to skate eight hours a day. I think a lot of people when they get older, they try to trick themselves into thinking that like strength training or hitting the gym is going to like help out their skating. Now you just, you just got to skate a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Um, this past spring, my wife had bought like a, not a Peloton, but a Bowflex bike. And the spring here was terrible. You know, it was like cold. It was wet, barely skated ever. So I went in hard on the bike trainer doing, you know, like hour long workouts on there. And when I did get out to skate, I found that my legs were just shit. Like bike legs and skate legs are two different things. They're trying to achieve different goals. So I, I think I agree, Ryan. Yeah, at the very least, you got to keep skating in the rotation. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Real quick, one last thing about skating versus biking. Like, skating will always be cooler because with biking, like, you have your hand, you can use your hands, you know, to, like, hold on to the thing. Like, there'll always be some some element of magic or whatever with the grip tape and, like, <laughs> like getting, like, your feet to stick to the board. That makes, that makes people trip out. Uh, that's a good yeah, point yeah i like that that there's an element of magic with skating because there really is well yeah th that reminds me of like one of my number one beefs with biking which is going into certain bike shops and getting vibed the hell out <laughs> where okay there's a phrase like riding a bike you guys have never been vibed in a bike shop <laughs> maybe maybe i have I, I have but i've i've also been vibed in skate shops even you know having skated for my whole life so yeah. i just think that kind of comes with any niche community whatever for whatever reason the like the employees of the the store are always gonna vibe you out which i think is is got a charm to it like the uh like the comic book guy on the simpsons <laughs> yeah it's like a hardcore viber ever <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think my my beef with getting vibed out at the bike shop is that biking is kind of fundamentally easy Putting together a bike, not, but um, yeah, I was going to say the phrase, like riding a bike, any, you never forget. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> Don't vibe me. Yeah, but what's your gear ratio, dude? <laughs> I didn't come here to do math. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. I don't know anything about gear ratios. I, I was pretending you're the, the bike shop guy. I, I was, <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Templeton. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I know just enough about bikes that I can sound like I know a lot more about bikes than I really do. Like, I know that gear ratio is a thing, but I don't know what my gear ratio is. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to make big claims, but I I, I can change a tire. Change As a tire. can I. 
I don't mess with derailers. It's about the extent of it. Yeah, I, I, like another thing I, I want to add is that uh, the thing about bikes is there's just so much gear involved, and it's like kind of stressful. Which one is like an endurance sport? I don't like it nearly as much as running, and it takes too much time to get a good workout. But I just I get so stressed out about the gear because I'm like I don't know what is going on. My bike's kind of old too, so I'm just like there's all sorts of issues with the uh yeah the the teeth on the gears and stuff like that and the shift my shifter's broken i'm just like jesus i gotta i gotta like go to school to learn how to use this thing yeah it's i feel like the current generation of bikes are like way harder to work on like i had a 1984 trek that was like you know had gears derailleur all that shit and it was like pretty easy to figure out you know if, if you've got like hydraulic brakes or like digital shifters like i don't even know where you would start with that i always thought like those bikes with the like hydraulic brakes were for posers is that the case or no no that's like the hardcore shit because you get uh, way better like it just works better than like yeah like the disc brake yeah i had a I had a mountain bike that had hydraulic brakes and i stored it vertically which i guess at that time you couldn't do so like all the fluid leaked out and i just didn't have functioning brakes so hard lesson to learn. All gas, no brakes. <laughs> Literally, yes. But lots of fun. Uh, I was stoked to sell that bike when I did. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Ryan, you have a stoked on? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm stoked on Troy Gibson. Love that kid. Great skater. Uh, and then I was also going to say that I'm stoked on the filmer discourse on Instagram that was started by skate rat. And I saw a bunch of other people kind of like jump onto it, which I, I don't really know like what direction that's headed, but it seems encouraging that people are realizing that they're kind of getting taken advantage of. And especially in an industry that literally relies on video to like, it's the only currency that really seems valuable anymore. Uh, it seems like the filmers are kind of getting a, the short end of the stick and so i don't know just encouraging that i guess people are are pushing back a little bit or agitating and i you know who knows where that'll end and maybe it, it's already fizzled out and i don't really know but um i thought that those were interesting moments on the internet in the last couple of weeks that i don't know we'll see see where it goes i guess yeah that could be a full full topic on this show one day <laughs> definitely especially the the, the one thing that I thought was interesting is the conversation about like uh, nostalgia accounts, you know, because those are, I feel like those are actually a hotter topic than most people give them credit for because they're basically just ripping other people's content and building an audience out of it that can then be monetized. Um, and, you know, I like and follow those nostalgia accounts, but at the same time, I'm like, it's kind of interesting that the people who made it don't have any sort of uh, control over the, the footage, you know. There's a lot to talk about with those. Yeah, too much almost. Sorry yeah. for opening that can of worms. <laughs> no, that's good. Maybe maybe that's uh, a preview for next week's show. Yeah, there you go. On topic list. Uh, to it. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Stoked on Venture Trucks out of San Francisco, California. Uh, stoked on the new uh, Tiago Lemos part for the Solja Grip Company, which I think is some like Barcelona um, Brazilian expat grip company or no i think it's just floor flow marfani and a couple of dudes part um mostly at la heritage spots i think he skates the seventh street hip if that's what it is uh is this the beginning of a sony campaign who knows maybe so um stoked on my new guitar it's a george lynch uh esp pro model uh the japanese version not the american version the american version is like six grand stoked on it i haven't had a guitar with a whammy bar for a while uh shout out chris and everling so yeah, stoked on that. And uh, stoked on an article, or whatever you call a Substack piece by a friend of the pod, a guest host of the pod, Al Brown, about tying your hoodie strings. Super interesting, because that's something I do religiously. So check that out and uh, subscribe to his Substack as well, if you haven't already. Mike, what are you stoked on this week? I'm stoked on skating a bunch as of late. Got out five out of, got out five of seven days last week and then of course this week i haven't skated as of this recording because i have a plumbing disaster happening in the very basement i'm sitting in right now 
not flooded currently. Also stoked as of late on skating while drinking hot coffee. You find yourself some good third wave drip coffee that's like, you know, highfalutin stuff. And then I'm also stoked on going to Slow Impact coming up here in less than a month now. That's wild. Templeton, what oh, are you yeah. stoked on? Uh, oh, yeah. We probably should have said the dates of Slow Impact. Didn't, we never did, didn't we? <laughs> February 16th through the 19th, uh, which is the week after the Super Bowl. So you can party hard on the, during the Super Bowl and then get on your flight a couple days later. Oh, by the way, Mike, sorry about the Viking. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I like... <laughs> <laughs> don't really watch football and then I started watching football the last couple of weeks and there we go yeah nothing like getting invested just to get your heart broken up I do the same thing with football yeah exactly and the Vikings are good to do that every three or four years that <laughs> was a brutal game too it's better than some of the field goal yeah yeah there's a there's a there's a litany of Viking <laughs> I wanted to use something more colorful than mistakes in in big playoff games. All right, Templeton, I'm queuing you up again. It's too painful. What are you stoked on this week? Uh, I'm stoked that I built a box. Uh, ledges are my favorite thing in the world to skate, so I'm happy to have a ledge whenever I want now. I used uh, wood that I've had in my garage for probably six years. So all you pack routes out there, one day those things pay off. So you can tell whoever is giving you a hard time about that, whatever junk is in your garage, that like one day you really will use those things. So yeah, stoked on my new box and using those things that I've been saving. And if you want stickers, there's only one way you can get them. And that's by donating at least $10 to, to Ashley Refield's GoFundMe. Just donate at least $10, forward your receipt to mostlyskateboarding at gmail.com. And uh, I'll send you some stickers. So thanks for helping out for all those who did. And that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyskateboarding.net or links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Ryan, where can the people find you? Uh, on Instagram or Twitter at Ryan Lay. Um, that's mainly where I'm at. All right. Mike, where can the people find you? Twitter and Instagram. I've got the same handle, at M. Munzenrider. Jason, where can the people find you? On Twitter, at Carbonite1994. On Instagram, at Frozen Carbonite and writing stuff for ChorusMax.com. Templeton, where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. We'll see you guys next week. Later.